0: Shut
1: up and sit down.
0: Okay, welcome back to another episode of the Limited Upside Podcast. As always, I'm your host here, Ben Epstein. I'm here with Mike Prada. We have a special guest on the line uh, calling all the way from Toronto, Canada, a former SB NBA writer, and a current CBS Sports NBA writer, James Herbert. James, Toronto, what's the weather like right now there?
2: Nice? (laughs) Not especially nice. Not as bad as Um, All-Star. Wow. But we're talking on Thursday night, and we were given an extreme cold weather alert for overnight. So (laughs) I don't think tomorrow morning is going to be fun, Um, but I'll just – try to hibernate
1: is is it true that that all-star weekend was like the worst weekend in like four or five years and it just so happened when this the nba was trying to show off its product
2: yeah it, it felt like the city was cursed for a weekend the saturday um was the coldest day since 1994 i believe Oh my god <laughs> um i'm sure so the was, side of
1: jury was thrilled about that
2: yeah it was really perfect really got to show off the city um <laughs> while everybody was just freezing and whining um, now,
1: we, we were both really cold in New York last year. How did it compare to New York?
2: It was, it was much worse. I mean, New York was cold too, but that Saturday night in particular was awful. The funny thing was it wasn't that bad um, right before, like Wednesday. Thursday started to get bad, but Wednesday was fine. And then really like Monday after the All-Star break, it was totally fine. Like the weather was good. And this this winter in general has been the warmest winter that yeah. I've ever seen here. Like, it's been amazing. It just really happened to be only when the entire NBA world descended on Toronto that it just became... This- frigid Yeah, you always landscape.
0: want your your people who are uh, your your athletes who spend most of their time in texas and california to, to come really experience the uh the frigidity of uh
1: of a beautiful day in toronto i i think yeah. oklahoma city someone from oklahoma city was a double agent there <laughs> trying to make sure durant doesn't go there it's that easy someone
2: yeah, we have to, to see them. if any free agents sign in new york or toronto like big ones in the next few years or if the the two All Star Weekend experiences just totally ruined it.
0: <laughs> what's the uh, what's who has the All Star game next? Uh, Charlotte. Charlotte, Charlotte, perfect. That could go either direction. Also, they could get stuck in one inch of snow and they act like it's the apocalypse there too. <laughs> uh, James, you are born and raised in Toronto. Is that correct?
2: Uh, raised, raised, not born. Okay. but raised there. Raised. Yeah.
0: So you were there when Toronto got a basketball team when the Raptors became your everything. Is that correct?
2: Yes, I. <laughs> I was, once upon a time, a Raptors fan. I was at their first game ever. Um, I was at their first game at the Air Canada Center. I've seen everything. Um, and notably, right now, the last 20 games, the Raptors have won 17 out of their last 20 games, which is the best 20-game stretch in Toronto Raptors history.
0: That's awesome. That's what's so aware
1: of that. That's what's so interesting about this team is that, well, there's two things, right? To me, a part of me is like, this team is really... Legit. This team can really beat Cleveland. This team is the best team we've ever seen from Toronto. And then there's a part of me that also thinks okay, we've seen this formula before. Two years ago, after the Rudy Gay trade, they did some, they're a very balanced team. They had a structured, solid offense and a very strong defense. And they lost in the first round. And the difference this year is not really them as much as the rest of the East is down. Where do you stand on that? Do you think this is really a change, better Raptors team? Or do you think a lot of it is just the rest of the conference has kind of fallen apart?
2: I think they are significantly different from last year's team in particular, um, just in terms of style, and that's that's not breaking news here. Every move that they made in the offseason was made to address the defense, which just fell off a cliff last year, um, which ran counter to basically everything Dwayne Casey believed in. It seemed like even when they were winning last year, when they were playing really well, Casey never got too excited about it because their defense was lagging. And I think this year they, the ceiling is at least higher. I, I would be surprised. I would be shocked. In fact, if they had a repeat performance where they just totally laid an egg in the playoffs, like, the way they got swept by Washington last year was an embarrassment for the whole franchise. And be smiling. I hope you know. Yeah, that. I'm sure. Um, and if, if a similar thing happened this year, um, I'd be surprised just because of the makeup of the roster. I think some of the additions they brought in really took a lot of pressure off of DeRozan and Lowry. And both DeRozan and Lowry are better in significant ways uh Lowry was incredible to start the year last year but I think because he's in better shape and I can't recall seeing a player transform his body um the same way that Lowry has done in one offseason before um but he really broke down toward the end of the year last year I don't think that'll happen this time and then DeRozan I mean he still has issues with his outside shot but I do think that he's a better smarter improved player than he was last year and I think I think that he'll be more equipped to make an impact in the playoffs this time too.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned Lowry changing his his body shape. I mean, there's people who have cut weight. There are people who have, uh, you know, like Charles Barkley was a doughy guy when he was in middle school, <laughs> high school. But yeah. by the time he was a professional player, that's who his body weight was. I can't think of another example like Lowry either. I'm like, you and I kicked this around earlier in the year, James. We did a podcast where we were trying to figure out who was the second best team, <clears throat> second best team in the East was. Yeah, uh, And we kind of kicked around a few teams at the time. Uh, I guess the Bulls, the Heat, Toronto, uh, to a lesser extent, uh, the Hawks kind of came up in that conversation. That field has changed a lot now. I think it's pretty clear. Mm-hmm. At least standing here right now on the, the 25th of uh, February, Toronto is the second best team in the East. Mike had touched on it uh, a little bit, James. But kind of the way the Eastern Conference, I, I disagree a tiny bit, Mike. I don't think the East in general is down. I just think that there's a pivot point, like an axis point here, which is that Toronto was good last year. And they've gotten better. They have improved. Like James said, the the, the makeup of the uh, the roster, the two-star players getting support, but also playing better themselves, changing their body frame, whatever it may be in Lowry's case. But they're the pivot point of an entirely changing Eastern Conference. Not getting worse or better, but teams, uh, I think, have identified maybe the Hawks have gone down because their window is closed. Uh, teams like the Knicks, Sixers, etc., cetera, are rebuilding. Have, uh, they're terrible. There's more wins to be had just in your little pocket of crappy Atlantic division. I know you all play each other the same. The <laughs> Nets are down, so there's more wins to be feasted upon. But I do think that there's something to be said for the rest of the East just not being fortified. It's a lot more of the moving parts, whereas Toronto is a fortified. They're a good team. They know who they are. Um, who, who do you see, James? If, if I were to say uh, you're playing Cleveland, uh, how do you kind of see that matchup going if that is what we are projecting to be an Eastern Conference final? Uh, do you like that matchup for Toronto?
2: I'm interested in it. The last time they played Cleveland it was it, it, they got slaughtered, and that was yeah. in Cleveland. And the Cavs just killed them. Mm-hmm. Kyrie, I think that was like his first really great game after he'd come back. Yeah, um, it was.
1: I do remember that now.
2: Well, yeah, well, they, and, they
1: were winning in the third quarter, right? And then I think didn't Kyrie just kind of go off? He
2: went nuts, and and the Cavs basically asserted themselves as like you're not necessarily <laughs> in our league. But the the first time like they came to Toronto, and that was the game that the Cavs had this team meeting afterward where um, James Jones apparently talked to the team for a while and LeBron talked to the team. And I remember LeBron being really grumpy and somebody tried to ask LeBron a question about Drake Knight, And he was just like, what? <laughs> Next question. Um, and the, the Raptors won that game, but the, the Cavs weren't whole then. And I think the Raptors have also improved since then. Um, look, everybody's going to favor Cleveland in that series. I, I, I don't think that's in question. Um, But I want to see what the Raptors look like when Damari Carroll comes back because one thing about this team is they were supposed to be better largely because of him. He was the enormous offseason acquisition. I wrote a big profile about him um, in training camp and preseason. And that was kind of the guy that was supposed to guard the other team's best player and help their ball movement on the other end because that was something they wanted to address. And they've made the improvements that they wanted to make largely without him. I mean, he's barely been around because he's missed so many games. But even when he was playing, he was playing hurt and he wasn't all that effective. I think, you know, they didn't make that big move at the trade deadline that everybody wanted them to make. And who knows? Maybe they'll get Joe Johnson. I kind of doubt it. Maybe Joe Johnson should just join the the Cavs or the Raptors, whoever wins that game. But right. that's right. If, if they do nothing the else, the,
1: there's a lottery in the middle of the, <laughs> the stadium, the Joe Johnson lottery. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. I, I think that would be fantastic, but um, <laughs> save for that? Joe Johnson showing up. Like, Damari Carroll is about as big a midseason acquisition as you can make, right? So I think if he comes in and fits in as well as everybody thought that he would, and he's the guy that can check LeBron, and I'm not saying stop LeBron, but if he can... <laughs> take that pressure off of the other guys on the team and and at least slow him down a little, then they have a a fighter's chance. And I will say that Toronto in general has played well against the good teams in the league. They haven't shrunk in those situations. The losses that they've had, a lot of them have been games that you would expect them to to win and they've been after big games they'll have like a letdown uh so I mean if you even look at when they play the Warriors both of those games were really close so I do think there's a healthy level of respect for the Cavs um but I do think they're excited to play them at home and I don't think that they're I don't think that they fear them mm-hmm.
1: the thing I worry about with Toronto especially in a Cavs series uh, Cleveland's defense has been very good recently the defense for Toronto was much better than it was last year. I think we can establish that. I think some of the players have played better this year. Lowry and DeRozan in particular, and I think Valanciunas as well. It still feels like the same system, though—the same system that's built around one or two guys, and it's very structured and slow, and it often ends in, you know, drives to the basket on trees. Not a ton of assists. You know, not a—I mean, there's ball movement, but not necessarily after the play is kind of. Developed, it still feels a little similar. And I, I'm curious in a matchup against Cleveland, where you know their defense is pretty good. I wonder if that's going to work. I wonder if that's going to work as well in the playoffs as it does in a regular season.
2: Yeah, I think that's a fair question, especially because it hasn't worked as well um, in the past two years at all. I mean, the, the Nets slowed them down significantly too, just by pressuring their ball handlers. And we'll see. I mean, that that's another thing. Damari's is supposed to help is with the ball movement, and I think the assist numbers can be a little. Misleading. I mean, they're not a great ball movement team, but I do think once the ball starts to move, um, they do make the extra pass. They're not a selfish team. I wouldn't say even though like De- Demar Derozan is a score first player, he's actually evolved into a really good passer too. Yeah, yeah. And they're not the kind of team that just goes into boring isos and pounds the ball forever. Um, Derozan and Lowry will both dribble, but they're not. I I just. I don't think they're necessarily ill-equipped to, to handle um, a good defensive team. And I would say, like, even if you look at the Cavs, like, they're not the Warriors. Like, they don't play a beautiful um, ball to swing side-to-side all-the-time style either. I think they're sort of similar in that respect. And, yeah, would the Raptors like to move the ball better than, than they have? Sure. Um, but I don't think it's going to kill them necessarily, nor do I think that they're a better team than the Cavs. Like, I'm not saying that at all either, but I think that, potentially, especially with something that Mike, you outlined in your, your Corey Joseph story. Like they're not only relying on Kyle and Damar. They they that's have true. Corey Joseph as another creator. Um I think they would like to have a playmaking four, because that's not really skull and Patterson's game, but every team wants a playmaking four. Like Joe Johnson would help in that respect if they could add someone like that. But yeah, would they like another playmaker or two? Sure. But I think in the first round, that's not necessarily a problem. And against the Cavs, I mean, the Cavs sort of have the same issue.
0: Yeah, I think, I think it's interesting, though, because with Terrence Ross, uh, Joseph, uh, and then obviously Lowry and DeRozan, you already have four guys who can dribble the ball, can shoot the ball, uh, so a tad bit. But adding Joe Johnson to the mix, then you could play a lineup with Joe Johnson, Damari Carroll, I don't know, Biombo maybe, if you want to go for a more athletic team, trying to support the guys who won't be able to protect the rim there. It gives you guys options and, and a di- pretty diverse lineup of guys who can really all shoot, uh, with the exception of Biambo, Right. Obviously. Well,
1: so the closing lineup was supposed yeah. to be, wasn't it supposed to be Joseph with Lowry and DeRozan and with Carroll at the four? And obviously yeah. that hasn't materialized. Right. Uh, and it turns out that Patrick Patterson is one of the team's most important players, so... You know, I don't know if Joe Johnson really helps that much with that. I mean, their best lineup, I think, is those those five. Yeah, I mean, we
0: might be over, over-crediting Maybe. today's Joe Johnson.
1: <laughs> well, so moving on, the the other reason I'm, I'm intrigued by the Raptors is that they're in an interesting kind of future position where they've got this really good team that's built around these two guards, but one of these guards is a free agent. And yeah. a free agent that is almost certainly going to get $25 million a year contract – you know, a free agent that deserves the pay raise, he's tremendously underpaid. You know, but I I wonder if it's good for is it for Toronto's future. And we had Eric Corrine write a really good story about DeRozan's relationship with Toronto. Yes. They are sort of still at this crossroads with him where this is something that a lot of good teams go through. You have a level of success and then it either costs a lot of money to keep that success together or you have to try to take a step back to take more steps forward. And I wonder, you know, the interesting position that this team is in, you know, how badly do they need to keep DeRozan after this year? I guess it depends on what happens, but, you know, or could they, could they lose him? Could they use that money for other players, promote Terrence Ross, who I think has played really well the yeah. last few weeks, especially off the bench, and kind of keep rolling along almost like they did when, you know, they traded Rudy Gay.
2: Yeah, I think if he left, um, it would be a blow, and it would be a blow just to—I mean, the fans love him here. Um, no, nobody wants to see him go. But I think if he did leave, they wouldn't be in the worst position ever because they'd be able um, to spend money and find other guys that could step in, and you know, m- maybe Terence Ross goes in and takes that starting spot. But I don't think that's a plan. And I don't think that's, in general, what Masai Ujiri likes to do. I mean, you saw it with the Terrence Ross extension that some people criticized a lot when it happened. Um, This is the same guy that re-signed Nene once upon a time in Denver and then traded him a couple months later for JaVale McGee. I I don't think he likes to to lose assets for nothing, especially um, an asset like DeMar DeRozan. And there's a reason why there weren't really any trade rumors about him approaching the deadline is, is it's working well now. He loves the city, always has. I think the franchise really appreciates the way that he's been loyal to the city. And this is a guy that, I mean, Kareem nailed it in his story. Like He's been praised for his work ethic since the day that he got here. Even when he wasn't that productive a player, everybody loved his attitude and, and loved the way that he approached things. And that's really paid off. I laugh when I think back to when he... Signed his extension. He literally signed it um, in the hallway leading out, like in the tunnel leading out onto the court before the Raptors' first game of the season. And everybody in the arena was all stunned about the money that he was getting. And now, as you said, he's extremely underpaid. So I think ideally they keep him. Um, And if you look at it just in terms of production for dollar – you could argue that a max contract doesn't really make sense, but I just think the market will dictate that it's a no-brainer that he's going to get a max yep. from somebody, and I think as soon as free agency begins, he will have Masai Ujiri at his door with a max contract offer ready for him. And I would be surprised if he left, um, because I think he's just built up a lot of... You know, I think he's put a lot into it here, and he's really invested in winning in Toronto, the only way that I could see something changing is if they get swept in the first round again, or they have a horrible embarrassing loss again um, because I could see both sides thinking, well, maybe this core isn't necessarily what's going to get us to the next level. But assuming that they, they go as we think they will, which is they win at least one round. um, I, I would be surprised if he was anywhere but Toronto next year.
0: Well, I'll tell you what. I like the fact that Toronto's going for it, per se, that they actually see themselves as like, yeah, we should try to take down Cleveland and win the Eastern Conference. Because I think a lot of teams in the NBA right now are positioning themselves for when the Golden State-Cleveland-Spurs hierarchy isn't going to be there anymore, as opposed to actually still trying to win in the 2015-16 NBA season. Um, Question for you. Mike and I were debating this the other day. uh, Not really debating, just talking about it. No, we're
1: debating it. Well, the only one we
0: disagree, well, here here it is, James. We said the best the best backcourts in the NBA. Obviously, these conversations come up all the time. We gave yeah. Golden State um, the number one spot with that. Uh, and then I said Toronto, too, and Mike said, well, maybe Portland's the second best backcourt in the NBA. Um, Do you have an opinion on that? Because part of that I want to have you, you know, um, uh, give us a little insight into is the relationship, uh, between DeRozan and Lowry, because I think it's pretty public the way that the golden state are all best friends. Um, mm-hmm. the fact that McCollum and Lillard, um, they kind of carry that small school chip on their shoulder. Um, they've, they really were the last two left on a team that cleared house. Um, so we kind of have a little insight, although we are speculating a little bit, but a little insight into those <laughs> dynamics. I think Toronto is the second-best backcourt in the NBA, and I've been a big DeRozan fan on the record here uh, in the face of Mike. Big, for, bigger than me. For a couple years now. <laughs> um, but I'll say this. I, I think that they're the second-best backcourt in the league. Can you give us any insight in, into that personal relationship that they have together and kind of um, where you see them in that pantheon of backcourts?
2: Yeah, I, it's really interesting. You have one guy, the Philly guy and a Compton guy, yep. and I think – from, I mean, DeMar's on the record saying he didn't kind of quite know what to make of Kyle when he first showed up, and it wasn't like they always knew they were going to be this tight, but they they are extremely close, and that's been evident for a couple of years, and there have been a, a few clips that have gone viral of them interrupting each other's interviews this he year, does. but this is something that we've seen in Toronto for for a couple of years now, and like their, their kids are friends. Um, they are extremely tight. They're always joking. They, they both Are you know not not every NBA player is a huge basketball guy or huge basketball fan. Not everybody is watching League Pass at night. Um, These two guys are, and I think that's part of what's bonded them is they both love basketball and love talking about it. And they'll have these little conferences. Like a game is over, and their lockers are right next to each other, and they'll have both their chairs turned the other way and they'll just be having a quiet little conversation Mm -hmm. about whatever, whether it's that game, whether they're on their phones looking at what else is happening in the NBA. They are legitimately tight, and they've gotten closer and closer over the past few years. And on the court, I think it took some time for them to figure it out. Um, DeMar especially didn't used to be that great at playing off the ball, but he's evolved a lot as a cutter. Um, And I think they do play off each other really well, and they they make a concerted effort to – look for each other when the other one has it rolling. And DeMars talked about, like, they'll actually have discussions in the middle of the game. All right, this quarter we're going to you. And the next quarter we're going to you. And that's not necessarily always what you want. Like, when I brought that up to Casey, he looked horrified because he wants the guys to play in the flow. (laughs) Um, But it works. It it legitimately works for them. And it was cool to see them both in the All-Star game together and doing the same thing that they did at the media availability um, at All-Star. Um, as for where they rank um, among point guards, I I would have them higher than Portland simply because I think they're both far better defenders. Okay, and, no,
1: I, I, I think I agree too. As
2: and DeMar like is always really. going to be held back when he doesn't have that consistent three-point shot. I mean, he's taking them now at least, not a ton, mm-hmm. but he, he will take a few more. Um, but I think his ability to get to the basket and his ability to play very good defense, not shut down defense, he's not... There's a reason they got Demari Carroll, right? Like they don't want him to do the Jimmy Butler, Paul George thing of playing. You know, in the playoffs, you're looking at 40 minutes of, of guarding the other guy's best, the other team's best player, and being the number one option. That's not DeMar's job, but he is a far, far and away a better defender than he was a few years ago, and Lowry. Um, I think it's helped that Corey Joseph often is guarding um, the point guard down the yeah. stretch, but mm. for stretches when they really need Lowry to to get up and, and play defense on a, on a guy, he's still that guy that he was when he came in the league and when that was his job. Like he can play really good defense when he wants to. And Lou and Le- 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 McCollum still have a way to go there.
0: Agreed, agreed. And, and that's something you can never take out of Lowry. That was his role on Villanova as well. You know, it was yeah. to be the the tenacious. Yeah. You know, power call him the power guard who's actually the smallest of the three when he was with Foy
1: and A-Ray there. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah. The, the other thing I, yeah. I love about—this is why I think Lowry is—this un- is something about Lowry that I think is underappreciated here. I think—and you might agree, me might disagree, James—I think Lowry has changed his game this year to accommodate DeRozan in a lot of ways. Like, And this is why I think that Lowry is by far the better player of the two, and like, not to take away from DeRozan, but this is why I think— I think really the key to this team is much more Lowry than DeMar, is that Lowry is playing more off the ball when they play together. He's letting DeRozan catch the ball and make yeah. plays, and he slides. He does. He's so good at just sliding into little open spaces. It's not that he's playing harder than you. It's just that he's noticing something a little bit sooner than you do, mm-hmm. and when he knows exactly when you are supposed to relax, and he takes advantage then. And I think that's hard to do for a lot of point guards. They need the ball in their hands and. That, that, to me, is why I think Lowry is such a valuable player. It's that he's not only capable of playing off the ball, but he's kind of willingly deferred some of his playmaking to DeRozan in order to allow him to thrive. I think that's a huge element to Toronto's success.
2: Yeah, I mean, Lowry's a brilliant basketball mind, and I think that's that's part of why he's gotten into the... He's been called uncoachable in the past, and he's had disagreements with, with coaches, and, I mean, that story's been written, but he... Is just so smart, and sometimes that's in taking a key charge at the right time, making a good defensive read. Sometimes it's like pulling up for the the two for one when necessary. But I think a lot of it is exactly what you mentioned. It's the way he moves off the ball. It's his timing. His timing is amazing, and I think that is part of what he and DeRozan have gotten better at over the years is just making those little reads and knowing where each other is going to be. And Larry will slip into open spaces, whether that's cutting back door and making himself available and getting a layup, or if it's just like creating the proper spacing so DeRozan can attack or so Valanchunas can have a good post up or whatever. Mm-hmm. He is so good at almost everything. Like he's one of those guys where he doesn't hurt you in any area and he doesn't have a lot of flaws. He's not the best point guard in the NBA, but I think he's one of the most complete point guards that that we have in the league. Yeah. He doesn't have that crazy athleticism that that Westbrook has or the speed of John Wall or anything, but he's almost at that kind of first tier level. Like I'd put him right there in the second tier of point guards mm-hmm. because he rarely does anything that will hurt you and he's just he's a killer. And if you give if you give him that little bit of space, he doesn't need that much space to create a shot or to to get open and to or to draw a little foul or something like that. He just he does yeah. so many little things. He's one of the more fun guys to just focus on throughout a game.
1: Yeah, he he reminds me of Chris Paul in that respect. Uh, yes. That every little tiny advantage he can exploit, he exploits. Yep. The difference is that Chris Paul always has the ball, <laughs> whereas Kyle Lowry does not. Um, <laughs> I want to get a little more into the weeds because the one thing, if you look at some of the lineup data with this team, which I think is really interesting, and I don't know what this means for a playoff series, but I think it means something. You know, if you look at the data, the Raptors' starting lineup has not fared well this year and especially mm. not recently, and yet their best lineups are when they play their four bench guys, Corey Joseph, Bismack Biombo, Patrick Patterson, and Terrence Ross, with Lowry, that's, I think, a plus 30 per 100 possessions or something absurd. Yeah, that's the best net rating in the league, that yeah. lineup. It's yeah. nuts. Wow. And with DeRozan, it's still very strong as well. But the starting lineup with James Johnson has been a negative. The starting lineup with Carroll in the limited minutes has played also a negative, although less so. Where they really kill you is when their their bench goes in and they're able to stagger their two stars because they're so versatile. I guess I'm wondering, the first thing that's worth thinking about is, is it worth changing up that starting lineup at any point, or does it not matter?
2: Yeah, I, I struggle with it. Everybody in the city wants them to change the starting lineup. I'll tell you, like that's I've talked about it with, with media. Um, the fans are very vocal about it. Nobody wants Luis Scola starting because as was expected when they signed him, he's just not a great fit with Valentinus. Like, you want one of your big men to be more mobile. You want one of your big men to to just be quicker and be more of a shot blocker. Um, and it, it's it been sort of what, what people expected. And Dwayne Casey is very resistant to that. He's gone so far as when he's asked about Skola slumping when the numbers clearly indicate that he is. Casey is like, well, I don't think he's slumping. <laughs> and... And that's fine. I mean, he's, he's not one to publicly rip his players off in any way. But I think the risk you run when you change it and the, the, the change that's there is really obvious. All you do is you slide Patrick Patterson into the starting lineup. He's been one of their more productive players and one of their most positive factors in terms of plus minus. Like, it, whatever sort of stat you want to look at, Patrick Patterson has helped them. And that, that's the obvious change. But the thing is, if you do that, then maybe the second unit isn't so killer. Right, And they're really feasting on teams when they go to their bench unit. The Raptors bench is just so much better. And what's interesting to me about it is that lineup that you mentioned, it's not full of those like bench scores that that we're used to Is these right. change of pace guys that come in. Like Corey Joseph is the opposite of that. He is a conservative point guard. He's actually flashier than people realize because he's a really good ball handler, um, but he's going to basically make the right play most of the time and then play really smart, solid defense. And that's what that group is. Is they're an amazing defensive squad? And then also they, they compliment Lowry enough that like he can create open looks for Patterson. He can create open looks for Terrence Ross. And I think that lineup really works well. And I wouldn't be surprised if Casey stuck with what's working for the rest of this season. Um, But I might, if I was in a position, I might just try it out because in a playoff series, um, when both teams are playing their reserve guys less. Yeah, James, I'm um, you brought that up. You, you might not be able to kill the other team's bench yeah. um, as easily with that group. So I might want just, to just get Patterson in there with the starters for a few games, see how it works, um, see what effect that has on the bench. And then if that's working, then you can just roll into a playoff series with that as you're starting five. Otherwise, maybe what he'll do is he'll just keep that in his back pocket, and if they find themselves down in a playoff series, then you make that switch then.
0: It's like a, the, they call it uh, pulling a Whitman, I believe. Where you, where <laughs> that's you just, a low blow. <laughs> where you mess around with like a ten or a nine or ten-man rotation and then come playoff time, you play six guys. Actually, I don't, that's not
1: a low blow. What am I talking about? It's the about? truth. Yeah.
2: That, that pulling a Whitman blow. is what destroyed the Toronto team. <laughs> it's Paul ball. Pierce is coming in and killing sorry. him.
1: Sorry, that, that name, I guess, just yeah. invokes bad feelings. Well, so that was what I was
0: getting to, though, is that is that they they were a deep team last year? They're a, a deeper team this year in Toronto, and they ran up against kind of the the opposite in the playoffs, which was a, a seven man rotation Washington yep. team who they never got to play that bench, like you just said. So that capitalization on the second unit was no longer there. And then when you're scrambling within a series, now everything looks knee jerk. Guys are pressing, and it does yep. create you know kind of that you call it a vacuum of of. Playing the basket or basketball that is not what got you there, and that's kind of never what you want to do. And Mike and I always talk about the difference between regular season basketball and a seven game series. The adjustments are so much more finite, but also yeah. important come playoff time.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's also possible that slotting Patterson for Skull is fixing a problem that doesn't exist. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. what? How much of this issue? I know the the starting lineup with with Carroll was still a negative, but it was much less a negative in much less time. I mean. I wonder if the problem really is at that position or whether – if they get Damari Carroll back, they keep that bench unit intact, they they get a lot more defense and a lot more ball movement, a lot more shooting from the, the small forward spot. I mean, James Johnson has his strengths, but he's not any of those things. Mm-hmm. Then it all kind of bounces out. And, look, Skola is slow, but he's also a really good defensive rebounder. And yeah. you know, can struggle in space. I wonder – if once they get Carol back, the problem sort of solves itself, and then they don't have to tinker. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I think that might be what Casey is, is waiting for because Carroll, he's, he's such a good fit on pretty much any team, and part of that is because he is a good shooter, and every team loves that, and he's a solid team defender. Um, but I think what he'll do for Casey is he'll give him more flexibility with lineups that feature a bunch of bench players, and with lineups that are mostly composed of their starters. And, and that closing group that you mentioned before with basically um, Damari healthy and then Corey, Corey Joseph in place of a power forward. So you, you slide Damari over to the floor. That, that's, I anticipate you'll see that lineup a lot. And I anticipate just having him in the playoffs as an option to, to go small and to play a power forward. Just, just having that tool available is huge, and I I think part of the problem in years past with Toronto is yeah they they've been deep but they haven't been super versatile, yep. and just the fact that he can play two positions makes them a much more versatile team than they were before.
1: Well, yep. where's what's Carroll's status now? That's I I don't even yeah. really understand like when is he coming back?
2: Yeah, I'm a little confused by that too because <laughs> I was I was under the the impression that he was going to come back. Um, shortly after All Star, um, that that hasn't happened. Um, the latest report that I saw on the matter was last week. Michael Grange from Sportsnet reported it'll be a matter of weeks. So I don't know how many weeks that is. Um, it's more than more, I.
0: Do you, you kind of yeah, that that timeline gets extended more and more as this gap between them and say the Celtics and the three seed gets larger and larger?
2: Yeah, that that might be it. But at the same time, I wouldn't put it past the Raptors, and I wouldn't put it past Damari Carroll to just all of a sudden with no notice show up at a game and it's like, oh, all of a sudden Damari's back. Because that's what happened before when he missed a few games and all of a sudden he was back in the rotation. Um, and then he ended up having more problems and he sat out for longer. Um, it He's a guy that hates missing games. He was playing on one leg in the in the conference finals last year yeah. against Cleveland. And I think they'll be cautious um, partially because they have this cushion, but partially because that's just the right thing to do. Um, But I think he will be pushing to come back. And if he was back um, next week, that, that wouldn't surprise me. But like I said, I don't have anything new to report on it. I haven't heard officially if it'll be, one week two weeks i i don't think it'll be against cleveland um but that would be quite a story if it was
0: yeah and, there, and there's something to be said for letting guys get fully healthy yeah you know, they did a good job of letting valentunas get healthy here so he's being effective in coming back right away and there's been plenty of op, you know, situations this season already we talked about gobert a little bit before the. Mm-hmm. they've rushed him back in utah like three times this year and well, it's
1: Carroll. carol
0: Carroll earlier in the year with yeah sure like you just said james with toronto here um, yeah right, i think this is A pretty comprehensive dive into Toronto. James, you follow basketball holistically, though. We don't just have to talk about Toronto. And there's another team in the East... Uh, who could potentially be a first-round matchup for the Raptors. Um, we were going to do a little Pelicans talk. We're going to scrap that for another podcast. Uh, Anthony oh, Davis, look at this. The, Anthony uh, Davis deserves more than just the, the,
1: the, the host. The host is kind of calling an audible. Wait, wrong sport. Uh, I would say
2: Anthony Davis deserves a lot more, period. Like He yeah. just deserves a lot more yeah. around him.
0: Yes, we, we can actually pinpoint what we're going to talk about next pod about Anthony Davis, which is that he just deserves a lot more. But we'll do that next pod and in a full and entire podcast for him. The team I want to talk about that I was leading into uh, is the Miami Heat, a uh, team in kind of a weird, call it, they just lost arguably their best player to a, a very dangerous and, and scary health issue uh, in Chris Bosh, but that is actually rounding into better form since then and has been playing better basketball lately. And has one of the most polarizing players in the NBA, and that's Hassan Whiteside. And I want to get your opinion on Hassan Whiteside, James, how he plays with them currently and his future with the Heat or wherever it may be, and then Mike's, because I feel like there might be a little bit of a little difference in how you guys think about him. So what do you think about the Heat and then secondarily uh Whiteside and how he fits in with that team, James?
2: I'm fascinated by the Heat because I can't figure them out right now. Like they shouldn't I keep expecting them to completely fall off. They don't have a backup point guard right now. Um <laughs> They and they won't <laughs> like Josh right. Richardson and Dwayne Wade are going to have to kind of play back up point for them. So so um, the background
1: there is that they are they snuck under the luxury tax at the trade deadline. But in order to add anyone, I think they have to wait until like March 7th or 8th mm-hmm. for it to not go back over the luxury tax and like, yeah, OK, it's only money, but they would be triggering the repeater taxes. And those are really monumentally. uh taxing, for lack of a better word, uh, <laughs> for building a contender in the future. So that's why they can't sign anyone. Anyway, I just wanted to make sure our listeners Thanks, understood that.
2: Yeah, no, and that's why they made the moves they did at the deadline, too, is because they didn't want to do that. Right. And so they've lost Udre, and they've lost Tyler Johnson, and obviously the big one is that Bosch's future for the rest of the season is, is completely uncertain right now and doesn't look great. Uh, but yeah, they, they've started playing faster. And yeah. Obviously, that, that suits Goran Dragic. I'm not sure if it suits Dwayne Wade um, at his age, and it, it it's a big adjustment for sure, but I'm curious to see if they kind of just roll with this lineup where they're playing Winslow and Deng as the three and the four, and they're letting Dragic be more of a playmaker and letting him push the ball, and you have Whiteside starting fast breaks with these blocks. I, I'm curious as to if their ceiling is higher, and that's... Like, ideally, they're doing that with that, with Bosch healthy and right. playing. Um, but I thought just watching them all year, like, I understand why they they played slow is they're kind of an older team. And um, Dwayne Wade's the franchise player. But I always wondered, like, could they push the pace and, and be a different style of team? And, and that's what's happened lately. So I'm kind of trying to figure them out. As for Whiteside, I think he's incredibly talented. And I think he's going um, to get a boatload of money. Um, but I'm not sure if... I really think Miami is going to be the team to give him that boatload of money because their culture there is such that I don't know that that's a guy that, that Riley is is necessarily going to trust. I think he might chase other big stars and also like they don't have any sort of advantage like you normally would um, if you had a guy's full bird rights. Mm-hmm, um, right. So I'm not sure they have a better chance than some other team who is going to say, you know, you're going to be our franchise center, we want to give you all this money and, and, and play here. I, I'm not sure that there's loyalty on either side of this, whether it's from the heat to him or from Whiteside to the organization.
1: Yeah. So so basically just just uh again to clarify for our non cap <laughs> people, they uh because Whiteside I think is like only on a two year deal, like you have to play a certain number of years with the franchise to trigger the ability to go over the cap to re sign them. And Whiteside is not that so because I think they're limited to, like, what, double his salary or something? And he makes the minimums, and he's going to get more than the minimum, So <laughs> you have to use cap space to sign him. Here's what I find really interesting about Whiteside, though, is that on the one hand, you know, there's just all these whispers about his character and what he values and some of the things yeah. he says. And, well, he doesn't fit into their culture. And, you know, he's had – obviously he was run out of the league the first time because of some of these stories that proved to be prophetic. But – you know, at the same time, he also had to have cleaned up his act to some degree to be you, able to be did you in mean this. the, the Pac 12. What's he got ran out of the Pac No, he got run out of the NBA. Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, Both. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yes. Okay. okay he's sorry. been run out of a lot of places. Uh, he's very fast. Yes. Uh, but, <laughs> um, but it's it's weird. Sometimes when you hear those whispers, it's like a lot of times there's stuff people know that they can't report for whatever reason. And so it kind of comes out in that form and you know usually yeah. people aren't wrong about that at the same time don't you think it is kind of weird that like he's supposedly the poster boy for like the big man that only cares about his numbers and yet and he's the one that where the stat that their plus minus without him was just so thoroughly cited and yet other players are like that and there's so many other factors and but for some reason with Hassan Whiteside that one thing defines him i mean you were telling me this mm-hmm. earlier and I, I should think, have said Conference USA,
0: by the way. Because, sorry, go ahead. Yeah.
1: yeah, you were saying this an earlier pod, and I was like, kind of using the number as like mm-hmm. a big negative. But you know, the more I watch him, the more I think that like that he really does. There's a significant intimidation factor with him in the yeah. middle. Yes, and of course. I mean, you saw the Warriors game the other night. They didn't go small because they were worried about Hassan Whiteside. They're not worried about Hassan Whiteside posting up. They're worried that if the Heat run a pick and roll, they can just throw it up and nobody can catch it. And I thought that was significant on a level that I hadn't really thought of before. I wonder if at, we're at this point where he just gets bashed too much.
0: Yeah, I, I think there was yeah. a, a common narrative um, because the numbers were a smaller sample size was showing, obviously, that they were a better defensive team when he was on the bench. That's, and Mike, we touched on this. Today, I think what Zach Lowe tweeted it or you tweeted it, something like that. I saw you mentioned it on Twitter, but that's actually flipped in entirely now. The, the the story is that the last 25 games, and especially since the All-Star break, the defense has been significantly better with him on the court, and not just because the same eye test things that you just kind of mentioned, but there is an intimidation level to it. He's averaging 3.9 blocks a game in yeah. 29 minutes or something like that. It <laughs> yeah. doesn't happen.
1: And now doesn't he's, happen. But, yeah. but now he's altering shots, and maybe Probably he always so. was. And this is what I'm trying to figure out, like— yeah. Has he really changed? And, like, are we, like, overblowing some of this stuff? And, like, maybe is this guy really worth investing in? I mean, I mean, there's also a lot of talk. He also kind of gets the crossfire of, like, well, big men are kind of going out of style. You can kind of Mm – he'll never leave the paint. He won't step out on Steph Curry as if he's the only player in the (laughs) entire league that won't step out on (laughs) Steph Curry. Right. You know? I don't know it just seems to me like we're getting we've gotten a little too far ahead of ourselves here, and this we're we're missing the we're well, seeing the forest for the trees well, and, a little bit well, part of it though has to be um or at
0: least as I see it, one of the things we always try to do is project where guys are gonna be he's twenty seven years old this is probably to a lesser extent you know the complete package we know who Assam Whiteside is being okay with who that is should be accepted more. Being okay with who DeAndre Jordan is or what, De- or what Drummond may become. Like, Just because they have limitations doesn't necessarily make the strengths they have any less impressive. And what Whiteside does is a singular, it's not just one thing, but he has a singular unique talent that is better than everyone else's in the NBA for the last 25 years. And that's blocking shots. And at some point, especially in the Eastern Conference, you better believe that Kyrie Irving LeBron James, uh, you know, love from the wing or from the uh, elbow in. They're going to want to work in that smaller space. Not every team is the Golden State Warriors where you got to make Whiteside Hedge 27 feet out. Right. So I think that he actually has a lot of importance, specifically in this Eastern Conference right now. where There are plenty of centers and plenty of guys who need to do their work in the paint that he can directly affect.
2: Yeah, I want to clarify something I said earlier. Like, sure. I would not be surprised if he went elsewhere and I even would not be that surprised if, if the Heat went another direction. But that's not what I think they should do. I think they should try everything they can to keep him. Uh, he's such a rare talent. And, yeah, might he have flaws? Might he be rough around the edges? Sure. But you don't find guys who block shots at that rate. He's also a really good rebounder. And he's also pretty good in the block. And he has way better footwork than he did when he came in the league. That's for sure. And he shoots pass. a super high, yeah, he still can't pass, but he shoots a super high percentage because the majority of his shots are dunks. Yep. And then other ones are like, he has those little hooks down. Um, I'd love to have him on my team. And I think in this climate that, he, that he's going to have to get a max. Yeah. Um, but if I was the heat, like I would try to give him that max, honestly. And yes, I think to, to your point, he's been unfairly a little bit under the microscope because of, um, Just that that one stat that that was cited all the time. I think there's sort of a middle ground. Like he last year, I believe Bob Cousy said he was the first guy that he's ever seen who reminds him of Bill Russell. And (laughs) wow, he said that, and like he's not Bill Russell, but he's he's a guy that is one of the best at operating in that really valuable space around the basket. Like, that's yeah, prime yeah. real estate. And
0: he had that catch block, which was very Bill Russell. That was one of my favorite yeah. highlights of the NBA season.
1: Um,
2: that was amazing. Block. Yeah. I also think
1: he's sort of kind of swept into, like, all the weird stuff that's going on with Miami now. Yes. Yes. So you talk about the kind of decline of Wade, but the outsized importance that Wade must carry for that organization. You know, there, there's all of that. Uh, and then there's also like kind of the weird, the way dragic dynamic that sort of gets pulled in. And the other thing that I think people really never mentioned when we were talking about these numbers is that his backup was Chris Bosh. So, of course, like things are better when he's on the bench. <laughs> sure. Like Chris Bosh swings up to center, you know. But they're also using him in different lineups. They're using him with the smaller smaller players at the four. They're using him with Josh McRoberts. It's like kind of weird how we strip the context away from someone like Whiteside, but we don't afford certain players that opportunity. You know, I, I don't know why that that's the case with Whiteside. I like
0: it. we just kind of had like a group therapy session of why we should should like should like Whiteside. I, yeah. I appreciate I mean, that.
1: I but then of course the thing that lingers <laughs> is that there are all those kind of whispers and stories and yeah. innuendo about like his character, and sometimes that just isn't that that stuff never lies. Sometimes yeah. that's not the case, or it it's, never leaves you. Yeah, and. Yeah, sometimes, like, you can never get over that and it's nothing to it. And sometimes that's just how it really is. And it ends up proving that way in the long run. So who knows?
2: There will be surely organizations that are nervous about handing him over this insane amount of guaranteed money because of all that. Yeah.
0: No, very much so. But I, I think, you know, look, if DeAndre Jordan is worth X amount of money, should Whiteside be worth the same amount of money? Or,
1: or I should say proportion to the to the cap. Right.
2: I mean, I think Jordan's better, but, like— They're the same type of player.
1: Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, I I think that's probably a good way of putting it. I mean, DeAndre is a great screen setter. He's got some of those fundamentals down, and I think he's improved defensively. Mm -hmm. And you're seeing his value now that Blake Griffin's not there. You're seeing the value of that. Uh, Whiteside, I I don't think, is quite in that league as a screen setter. You know, he's obviously an amazing role threat, uh, but he's still—I mean, DeAndre doesn't really post up at all. You know, Hassan Whiteside does. But, yeah, I mean, I think there's something to that. I mean, I I think I was nervous maybe two months ago about giving him a lot of money, and I feel a little less nervous about it now. Hey,
0: you know, I know a team is going to be in the market for a a new big man, Mike, in Washington, D.C.
1: No, we got Markeith Morris now. We're good. That's right. (laughs) Problem solved. Um, Cool. Uh, Last
0: couple things. Uh, Actually, I don't really have too much else I did want to touch on. Any games this weekend coming up? This is 225. It's a Thursday. Mike or James, any games this weekend that people listening have to watch if they're basketball fans?
1: Mike? I, I think the Thunder Warriors match oh, yes. on Saturday Thunder Warriors prime time, one. correct? Yeah. That's at that 8.30 I, matchup? I really like the Saturday primetime thing. It's great. What do you think, James? You like it? I love it. I think it's great. I mean, it's doing I DVR great numbers most too. of the games. The ratings I, are great. Yeah, I like to go do stuff on Saturday night, so I DVR it a lot. But I think it's a great concept. <laughs> what, what are you? What are you trying to say, man? <laughs>
0: I do lots of stuff.
1: Yeah. My dog and my cat, they sit next to me and we watch basketball.
0: It's great. Um, cool, man. Uh, James, we really, really, truly appreciate you coming on, uh, giving us the insight into the Toronto Raptors. And, and overall, everything that you put into the uh, the world of NBA writing is tremendous. Uh, where can people find you uh, on Twitter, James?
2: I'm at outside the NBA because at James Herbert will not give me his Twitter account. <laughs> really? And my must watch game of the weekend is Cavs Wizards, and you have to watch Mike's Twitter account during that game. Uh, <laughs> like that is required. So I have
1: I have a family engagement during the game, oh. unfortunately. Oh.
2: So, no. All
1: right, we'll have to DVR and watch that one later.
2: <laughs> so, all right, what, so don't bother watching if you can't. Watch that.
1: <laughs> but, but uh, uh what uh, are you working on anything big uh that you want to plug or you've done some cool stuff stuff uh you had a Memphis thing this week, right?
2: Yeah, the last feature I did was on the grizzlies I I mean they're in a really strange place right now. <laughs> and um it was weird cuz I sort of was acting as if Marcus all was out for the season before they announced it like I just kind of assumed that was going to happen mm-hmm. and I like we put out the story right after the Grizzlies announced officially that he was done for the year but when the Grizzlies were in town that wasn't announced yet and I remember putting it to Mike Conley. like I asked him the question like is it weird knowing that he's just not going to be back like did do you have to take some time to Kind of just adjust to that, like mentally, that he's not going to come and save you. And he answered it as if, yes, he was done for the year, but that nobody had actually announced that yet. Um, look, they're, they're fifth in the West, I think, right now, still. And, um, They're if you just looked at the the, them starting the season right now with this roster with no Marcus all with Courtney Lee and Jeff Green gone and them trying to figure out what to do with Lance like you probably wouldn't say they're a playoff team, Um, but they have a little bit of a cushion and you can't really trust the Rockets or the Mavericks. I I think, you know, Portland and Utah will probably get in based on the way they're playing, Um, but they're going to really have to fight for their lives just to hold on that spot. And I think. Given Conley's upcoming free agency and giving just that the cast of characters that they have on that team now, um, they're maybe not the most exciting team to pay attention to down the stretch, but I think they're one of the most fascinating.
1: Did you nice. see uh, Lance Stevenson's Mario Kart act?
2: Oh my goodness! <laughs> I that was. Like, I, the way I saw that, like, I saw some tweet saying, like, oh, my God, look at what Lance did. And, obviously, that's a really exciting tweet to see. Um, but then you watch it, and that actually surpassed my expectations.
1: I, I think my favorite part is the Lakers' announcers just laughing the whole way through. <laughs> like... <laughs> that like okay the the sequence is great but like the laugh track I think yeah. makes it makes well, it work. I'd like so. to get in his
0: head for that play because it had probably it's one of those like old black and white cartoons where it's like because <laughs> there's literally no thought process other than behind the back behind the back behind, it's a tremendous play one of the Lance uh, Lance uh, All Star reel Mike when he does his um uh, what's it what's the feature you do each year. The, Your,
2: the film one, Room All-Stars? The film room yeah, All that would be
0: in the not film room All-Stars <laughs> play cuz was one of the worst plays. Yeah. Ever I
2: would on. love if this was the Lance redemption story. Like we cuz we've seen it in Memphis before, right? Like we saw what they did with Zach. Yep. And like it would be so perfect if he was just part of this next generation of Grizzlies basketball like and let me be clear. Like I'm not saying they're going to pick up his contract option. I'm not saying he's going to stay there, but if If it happened, if he recaptured that form that he had in Indiana, it it would be, like, the perfect place for it to happen.
0: Hey, no better first-round playoff matchup for that to happen than against his Clippers that just traded him. That would be poetic justice at its finest.
2: That would be hilarious.
0: Absolutely. But, uh, James, thanks again for joining us, man. Mike, uh, thanks for taking the time to sit in this hot little booth with me here. Uh, Find us on, let's see, on iTunes. Search for Limited Upside Podcast. Subscribe to us. Rate us. SoundCloud. Find us. Limited Upside Podcast. Again, you'll same thing. Find us. Rate us. Like us. Subscribe. And then go to SB Nation backslash NBA. This is going to be up there. Uh, Again, guys, look for the great work that James Herbert is putting out for CBS Sports. The same stuff Mike is putting out for SB Nation's MBA stuff. Tremendous. Keep a lookout for it. Until next time, Limited Upside Podcast.